Mahmoud's Family from Peasant Tales of Russia by Vasily Nimrovich Danchenko. Translated by Claude Field. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Davidson. Part Three Dreams. The prisoner's bed was placed in the same room with the colonel and the major. Soon all was silent. From time to time came the noise of single cannon shots deadened by the fog. It was the Turks who would not be quiet, but continued to fire at the Russians, but as the latter did not reply, they also finally ceased. Night now reigned alone over the world, wrapping everything in darkness and dampness, both the snow-covered summits of the mountains and their peaceable defiles, covered with Turkish villages abandoned by their inhabitants, as though a plague had been raging. In the valley below lay thousands of corpses, with fixed eyes widely open gazing at the dark, mysterious heavens. Their intent gaze seemed to wish to penetrate the darkness, as though obstinately asking heaven whither had passed that something which had animated their bodies that very morning, and what had become of the last sigh which escaped from their bayonet-pierced or bullet-riddled breasts. But the dark, inaccessible sky regarded them sadly from above, letting fall now and then cold tears on these disfigured faces. The Major could not get to sleep. He turned and turned again under the felt cloak which served him as a blanket, throwing it aside and pulling it over himself again, recommencing for the tenth time to read a newspaper and letting it fall casting furtive glances at the slumbering Turk, and hearing the vague words which escaped him in his uneasy sleep. Weary with his restlessness, the Major tried to oblige himself to think of something else, but his thoughts always returned to the same point. Even when he had finally closed his eyes and his breath had become more equal, when night had cast its soft spell over the room, his thoughts continued without change to work in the same direction. He dreamt of children, not the prisoner's unfortunate brats, but of his own, surrounded by all the care of a mother, and sheltered from danger in the midst of the profound quiet of the steppe which surrounded the little Russian town where his family dwelt. His thoughts flew to them over thousands of versts. All else had vanished, nothing of the present remained, neither the battles nor the innumerable corpses, not that ocean of disasters which for a long time had been rolling its blood-stained waves under the Major's eyes. This is what he saw. A moderately-sized room with a sacred icon in one corner. A nightlight burned softly before the icon, as though intimidated by the constant sight of the saint's austere face, whose expression appears still more somber in contrast with the silver ornaments of the frame in which it is set. The feeble rays of this pale light show in the shadow of the outlines of two little beds with very white curtains from behind which proceeds the sound of equable breathing. The Major lifts one of these curtains. The little girl in this bed is too hot. She has pushed off her coverlet and all rosy with sleep she slumbers without dreaming, her little plump legs gathered up close to her body, and her pulpy mouth half open. The little monkey is tired with running about the whole day, 
she has rolled down ice slopes she has teased her favorite fowls and her cock she has fed the pigeons and amid other things she has fought with her little brother now she slips her little fat hand under his head she seems about to open her eyes and close them again smiling at the sight of her father's face as he hangs over her he takes a long look at her sleep my darling sleep my angel he murmurs making the sign of the cross above her then he turns to the other little bed you see this brat he is not yet two years old but he is already covered with scratches because he does nothing but fight sometimes with the cat and sometimes with his little sister whom he torments accordingly his cheek is marked all over by the cat's claws who however appears at present to have made a truce with her enemy for there she lies rolled up looking like a ball of gray wool isn't he fat and sturdy the major's rascal he is so fat that his pretty hands his little feet and his neck look as though they were encircled with a thread as those of quite young infants do. And what red and chubby cheeks, so chubby that they have almost extinguished the nose, which appears between them only like a little button. His round head is covered with hair so blonde that it is almost white, and there is a dimple in his elbow. Suppose he were to kiss the dimple? But no, the child might wake up. Good, good, let him sleep and the father makes a sign of the cross over the spoilt child. Then he approaches the nightlight. Its wick is charred, and he turns it up a little, so that the room is better lighted. In a corner snores the old nurse. It sounds like the purring of a cat. The major goes on tiptoe towards the next room. His eldest son is there, who looks down on his little sister and his brat of a brother with profound disdain. In the absence of his father he sleeps in his mother's bed, where he is rolled up like a ball. The languid light of a lamp covered with a blue shade falls on both of them. By the bedside is a little round table. The major's wife must have been reading newspapers before going to sleep, for there are some on the table, open at the page where his detachment is spoken of. On the wall there is a portrait of him, and there are others on the table. His memory seems to pervade the place, and he has certainly not been forgotten. Full of gratitude, he leaps over the sleepers. He touches softly and carefully the half-open lips of his wife. He kisses her gently on the forehead and her closed eyes. She seems to have grown thinner. Her nightdress is open at the neck, on which the light of the lamp directly falls. It is quite natural that she should have grown thinner through anxiety on account of her husband. She has put one arm around the neck of her boy, who sleeps cozily, his curly head resting on his mother's shoulder, his mouth a little open. What teeth he has! And one eye is blackened. What peace reigns here! It seems as though a spirit of purity brooded in the atmosphere, Everything here breathes of love, calm, and serenity. It is as though an angel's prayer hovered over these two rooms, protecting these dear heads from all evil thoughts, from despair and hatred. If anyone at this moment had watched the face of the Major as he lay asleep, he would have seen a happy smile 
pass over the lips of this thin, tall man, so happy that the old Turk who lay not far from him could not have supported the sight of it. The latter was, all the night long, tormented by painful thoughts. He turned uneasily on his couch, and now and then a scalding tear rolled down his face. The night herself seemed struck by the contrast. She sent him a mysterious vision, and as soon as the sleeper perceived it, his expression changed immediately. His contracted muscles relaxed, his mouth, almost invisible before under the great nose, showed a smile. The tears on his cheeks dried. The prisoner was evidently dreaming of something happy. The night hung over him, her visage veiled in black. She murmurs beloved names in his ear, and sent him only dreams of happiness. Then, softly and gently, she glided towards the Major. "'What is the matter with him?' He seems to be having a trembling fit. Night hangs over him and covers him with her black veil. Anyone who watched him just now would be struck with the sudden change in his expression. His features betray astonishment and terror. He tries to rise, to shake off the heavy chains of sleep, but night holds him in her grasp. She has placed her hand on his chest. He sees a thing so strange and extravagant that his blood turns to ice in his veins. The quiet rooms of his home seem to be filled with a strange murmur. The children rise in their beds and fix their eyes, dilated with terror, on a black menacing cloud which hovers slowly above their heads. The father looks at it. What is there in the cloud which so alarms his children? His heart beats violently. The cloud continues to descend. The children jump down from their beds. The little boy who was sleeping in the next room runs hither. They call their nurse. She has disappeared. There is nothing but a heap of old rags in the place where she was lying. The children call to their mother, but the black cloud hides her from their eyes. There they are alone, face to face with it. It sinks slowly on the ground, as though it were descending into the waves of the ocean. Its vague, fluctuating outlines assume distinctness. The Major and his children at last perceive what it contained. What they see is a body of enormous length stretched out. Round it are standing four little children with great black eyes full of anguish and distress. The children weep bitterly, and their tears fall on the corpse which they surround. The Major's children approach them and begin to examine the body, whose gray head with its large nose the scar on the forehead and the gray bristling mustaches leave no doubt in the major's mind as to its identity the body is that of mahmoud bey everything is there the fresh wound on the shoulder the clotted blood on the ragged cloak the stiffened feet in rags but who who has done that asked the major's little girl a moment before flushed with sleep becoming suddenly pale who has killed him asked the little boy of six with a black eye. The youngest of the children is holding him by the shirt-sleeve. The Turk's children, the black-eyed brats of a tawny tent, turned towards the Major and pointed him. "'It is he who has killed our father. Yes, it is he. He has cast us on the street and reduced us to poverty and helplessness.' The Major tries to speak or cry. 
his heart is nearly bursting with agony his tongue feels paralyzed his voice is choked in his throat this father sees his children turn from him with horror the youngest even lifts her little hand as though to shield herself he tries to approach her but she runs away her features convulse with terror she points to his hand and cries blood blood the major looks at his hands the little girl is right they are covered with blood then he tries to speak but he cannot articulate a word he feels as though someone had squeezed him by the throat and were trying to choke him he struggles desperately makes a final effort and awakes throwing away the cloak which covers him he rises the turk was not asleep he was sitting at the table with the colonel well major it seems to me that you have had a good sleep for the new year yes and i've had a dream you too said the colonel in an embarrassed tone why do you say you too yes you can't imagine what absurd dreams i have been having i have never believed myself so sentimental had your dream anything to do with the prisoner naturally you remember my volodya a curious question as i am his godfather indeed you are right my head is decidedly queer well i have had that rascal at my heels the whole night he insists obstinately that i should give the turk up to him why i asked and he answered he also has little volodya's and i will let him free to go and find them yet my friend i don't think we drank much more than usual last night certainly not the major looked fixedly at the colonel but but think what i have dreamt it is much more serious not really yes indeed the major related his dream we are becoming superstitious said the colonel come what will we must make up our minds i will send this turk to the general as quickly as possible may god look after him the general must decide his fate if we keep him here we shall end by going mad in that case i have a favor to ask of you what is it i wish to go myself to the general you yes allow me to conduct mahmoud bey to him the colonel gave a side glance in order to preserve a serious expression and finally said without looking at the major there is nothing against it but you will need a horse it is easy to find one have we not taken enough from the turks true very well there is no obstacle hand the prisoner over to the general added the colonel in the tone of a superior officer giving an order walking slowly and accompanied by mahmoud bey who looked as melancholy as ever the major arrived at the russian advance posts a cossack on horseback emerged from the fog it was a sentinel two other cossacks lay stretched on the ground their horses attached to pickets munched a bundle of hay at the sight of the officer the cossacks rose quickly where does this trench lead my good fellows asked the major pointing to a very deep one close to where they stood straight to the enemy major has anyone seen the turks to-day no one has shown himself they are quieter this morning yesterday they raged like madmen but thank god they are giving us a respite now they have understood that they are wasting ammunition the major signed to the prisoner to follow him and descended into the trench a moment after one of the cossacks was at his side what do you want one must take precautions major we never know what may happen the turks are not very far away you know it is unnecessary 
"'But, Major, your prisoner may escape.' "'No, he won't. "'He has even promised to point me out the Turkish positions. "'Return to your post.' "'The Cossack went back. "'The other two rode in silence for half an hour. "'Finally the Major halted. "'Listen to me, Mahmoud Bey. "'The Turkish army is not very far from here. "'Escape, and go to Andrianople and find your children. "'You understand me? "'I have children also.' "'Well, what are you waiting for? Go, escape, and be quick. "'There is no time to lose. I might change my mind,' he added, half-smiling. The Turk seemed absolutely petrified. He blinked his eyes. Evidently he understood nothing. "'I tell you, go and find your family. Do you understand?' Quickly, and before the Major understood what he was going to do, Mahmoud Bey stooped down, seized his hand, and kissed it. "'Listen to me, Russian. I can never requite you this kindness.' I do not dare to wish for you that you may find yourself one day in a position and chance upon a Turk as good as yourself. But know that there is only one God. Religions are diverse, but God is one. I promise you that I and my children, as long as we are alive, will pray God to preserve you for your children, as you have preserved me for mine. May the sun shine on you for many years. Farewell, Russian. Farewell. Then, as though fearing the Major might change his mind, he whipped up his horse and disappeared. After waiting some minutes to allow him to get at some distance, the Major returned. When he arrived at the Russian outposts, he met the same Cossack, who had wished to accompany him, and said, "'Your prediction is fulfilled. The Turk has escaped.' The Cossack studied the Major's face and said, "'I wish him luck. It is not prisoners we are in want of. We shall soon not know where to put them.' When the Major rejoined the Colonel, he found him walking up and down the room in a state of great agitation. "'Well, arrest me. I have let the prisoner go.' The Colonel hastened towards him and embraced him nervously. "'There, Volodya has his New Year's gift. Let us hope that now he will let me sleep in peace.' "'But ought not a report to be made?' "'Why?' "'And the papers dealing with the prisoner's case?' "'The papers? There are their ashes in the stove. I have burnt them. Poor wretch!' He will have to hurry. He will have to hurry to find his family. End of Mahmoud's Family Recording by Kevin Davidson www.blogordie.com